We are going now. Okay. So, ready? All stars and small stars, that way. That way. Let's go. Um, if you then are an adult and you are not in all stars and small stars, I would love it if you'd kind of come forward a little bit so you're a bit closer. There you go. Apart from Tom is the first one to stand up every time, and he's the one person I don't want to move, so because then he won't be able to control stuff. But if if you would, and don't all move at once, you know. But if you, if you want, Lauren, you can start. There you go. Lauren's going to, and because Lauren started, like everybody else is starting. So Haley's coming, and then it's like a gradual trickle, and then people start to move forward, and people start to look uncomfortable because they haven't moved yet. And Joe Bache never looks me in the eye at this point, right? Okay. But it, I would love it if you came forward a little bit. I, I'd really love it, like really, really. Really? Okay, just stay where you are. Um, right, okay. Um, last night, okay, who was at the church pool party at the Crystal Leisure Centre last night? Put your hands up if you were there. Right, okay. Right. Um, who went round um, the rapids when the theme tune from Hawaii Five O comes on and you get kind of sucked all the way around those rapids and you go around? You were doing that. I told a few people a story, which I've told before. And there was a, a, a guy in uh, mine and Steve's form, uh, uh, Earl's, uh, when we were at school, uh, called David Woodhouse. Okay, David Woodhouse um, used to come uh, to the youth club here, right? And um, we were about kind of 14, I reckon, and we went on a youth club out into the Crystal Leisure Centre. They used to do like a disco in there called Bondi Beat, okay? And they had all the stuff on at the same time. Uh, David Woodhouse was not the most sporty of people. Once doing star jumps in PE, he jumped up, his shorts split, and they flared apart and kind of flapped up like some kind of flag as he came down. Everybody saw his pants. He was a big fella, okay? He was a big guy, right? He couldn't swim very well, but he decided he wanted to go into the rapids at that point where the, the music came on. He went in and everybody's going around and the lights are flashing and kind of like, everybody's trying to look really cool because when you're like 14, you just desperately want to be cool. Um, so he wanted to be cool and go into the rapids, even though he wasn't really up to it. Uh, it swept him round once, and he probably drank a, a couple of litres of the swimming pool water as he went round. He was bobbing around. He got round to the corner. You know where the little bridge, if you've been there, the bridge comes across from the slides. And for his own safety and his salvation, he, he hung out for something to grab hold of. And, and he hung onto the side of the pool. His trousers used to come down like at the best of times. This 14-year-old guy, who's a big guy, with all his kind of like mates going round, sees his shorts swept away around the rapids. There starts to be a commotion as people go by and realise that David, half submerged in the water, holding on, is completely as naked as the day that he was born, right? And, and, and some people start to spot his shorts going round and round and round the rapids. And, and there starts to be these, this fuss and these shouts going up and the, the lifeguards come over. And, and I said he was a big guy. It took four of them to heave him out of the rapids. And as naked as he came into the world, he lay on the side of the pool with lifeguards checking him over while all his classmates kind of cruised by in the rapids. It was a sight 
I will never forget. I managed to snag his shorts, and as I went round the rapids, kind of passed them to a lifeguard and carried on round. It was a theme. Oh, thanks. It was a theme um, that kind of carried on. We went um, to Brickhouse Fair. Again, it was an outing from Youth Club. Again, David Woodhouse was, was there, and he was with us, and we went in the fun house. And I don't know if you've ever been in the fun house, but there's kind of one of those conveyors. Have you ever been on those conveyors? And somebody's controlling it, and as you walk on and you're trying to walk on, they suddenly like turn it on. Probably health and safety doesn't allow it these days, I don't know. They turn it on, and you go flying backwards like this. David Woodhouse, reminiscent of the time in the rapids, held on to the railings as the conveyor belt sped past him, which ripped off his trousers and sent them down to the other end. And there was David, this time just in a t-shirt and his pants. Uh, and just to age it, I think he had a pair of suede travel fox high tops on. Okay, all right, that's how old it was. All right, okay. This was a theme. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Otherwise, other than this, okay. In that same fun house, okay, was the Hall of Mirrors. Okay, anybody ever been in the Hall of Mirrors at the fair? Yeah? You've all looked in those kind of mirrors that all kind of like curve and concave and make everything look weird. I suppose the modern day equivalent of, um, of the Hall of Mirrors is like Snapchat filters, okay? Everybody, it seems, on Snapchat who is female and under the age of about 21 appears to be a cat or something. Have you noticed this? Everybody at the moment, like you go on Instagram and it's full of people. Have you done it as well, Karen? Yeah, right. It's full of people. Go on, Karen. Go on, Karen. Maybe Tom will find it and put it on the screen. No, um, right. Everybody goes on and, and it recognises your facial features and it, it kind of like changes your nose to that of a cat and puts ears on you. And then for some reason, apparently as well, you have to like take a photo of half of your face, okay? Right. But it distorts what is there. The reflection that you see in a, in a fairground mirror or in a Snapchat filter is actually not a real true representation of what we see if we just look at your face. Now, about this same time as the whole debacle with, um, with David Woodhouse, it, you know, I was, I was a kind of 14-year-old lad who wasn't very confident in, in how I looked, wasn't very confident in, um, in kind of my appearance to other people. I used to get picked on uh, for my hair, okay? I didn't, I have, I have naturally very curly hair, right? Not curly and cool in the way that Tom's is like curly and cool. My hair is curly in the way that if I just leave it and I do absolutely nothing with it, it is different every day. It's like you wake up with a different hairstyle every day and it just like curls independently in whatever direction it pleases, 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 pleases. Uh, and I look like, I don't know, I look like a bear that's been kind of sitting in a bush for a week, right, okay? It's not a good thing, right, okay? And I was just, I used to try and fight against my hair, right? I used to try and desperately want to have straight hair. Okay, perhaps it's a blessing, but the real fashion when I was about 14 was to have your hair in curtains, all right, okay? Kev had an amazing, uh, amazing curtain hairdo, right? Once, uh, once he, we dyed his hair blonde, except it didn't go blonde, it kind of went the color of Tom's hair, right? And, and then he grew it out in curtains. So there are photos, photographs, 
photographic evidence of Kev with like curtains which are half like orange at the bottom and brown at the top. Thankfully, you know, maybe I was spared these embarrassing photos of these straight curtain hair, but I desperately wanted to have hair that wasn't my hair. Okay, I'm just looking at Sean. Sean's nodding. Sean's like saying, I desperately want to have hair. Uh, right, okay, but. Right, I, I, I wasn't happy with the way that I looked. I got picked on for being short. Okay, all the way through primary school, I was like shorter than everybody else in my year. I don't know what it was. I, I grew up down, uh, just down uh, on, on Bars Road, the same place where Hayden Hill Leisure Centre is. And in my school, Timber Tree, it seemed that everybody in my year had like been born and immediately placed in one of those like tomato grow bags full of fertilizer. And like they were all literally like up here to me. And I thought I was like this app absolute tiny, tiny person. I felt like I imagined Lauren does, okay, all right, okay. Felt like I was really small. And I used to get picked on for it, and my crazy curly hair, uh, and you know, it was, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up because mom went back to uni to qualify as a teacher and dad had left at this point. So like kind of, I didn't have the cool trainers that everybody else did. And that kind of pressure was coming in then that you had to have brands and stuff like this. And I didn't have those. So I was always worrying worrying about what I look like and what other people thought about what I look like. And, and things have changed over the years and, I, and, and I've learned to actually kind of work with what I've got. I found that a beard covers a double chin. All right? I found that if you work with curly hair, it's better. I once had it chemically straightened so much that it broke off. Okay, And then I had, my hair was about the length of Sean's and it grew back gradually. All right? But I learned to, to go with with what I'd got and work with it and, and over the years over the years kind of that kind of blocked out some of that negative emotion that I'd got about bullying and about people having a go and people taking the mick out of me and stuff like that and I, and I learned to be more confident in in who I am uh, and learned to actually you know dress the way I wanted to dress and not worry about what people might think about me and that that that's been a real kind of release for me, I want you to turn to someone next to you and say to them, you are amazing. Okay. I want you to turn to someone near you now and say, I am amazing. Right. The second one is a bit harder. I, I didn't mean like to turn to them and say, look, John is amazing. All right. That wasn't what I was saying. All right. But how much harder is it to say to someone, I, I am amazing. Right. Number one, you, you suddenly start to feel like you shouldn't say that. Okay, Aid does all the time. Aid, Aid says he's awesome. Right, okay, right, there we go. Right, you'll notice that all over social media. He's awesome. In fact, you've got t shirts with it on and stuff like that. I mean, you think, here you go. Right, okay, Aid, Aid bucks the trend. All right, okay, but it's so much harder to actually say good things about yourself. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Okay, and it's so much easier to give other people compliments. And I think the reason that we do that is because when we look at ourselves, we really often focus on the worst bits, okay? I would always focus, when I was looking in the mirror, that 14-year-old version of myself, I would always focus on like the, the curly bit of my hair which was doing everything it could possibly do to like go the other way to what I wanted it uh, to be. Do you know what? There's, there's a science behind looking in the mirror. Okay, it's said, scientists reckon that most of us don't actually know what we look like. And that if we saw ourselves 
okay, a complete clone of ourselves walking down the street at a distance, we wouldn't immediately recognize that that was us. Isn't that crazy? Scientists reckon that we, we don't do that. One of the reasons is that, that in, um, in the mirror, we always see a, a switched round version of what we are. Okay, we see a, a reflected version that's the other way around. Okay, so everyone who has their hair a certain way in the mirror thinks that's what their hair looks like, but actually it goes the other way, right? But we, we look at all these things and we, and, and science tells us that if we're having a bad day, when we look in the mirror, we will concentrate on all the bad bits. Right, okay. How many people have ever come to you, had someone come to you and say, oh my goodness, have you seen this huge spot on my forehead? Right, okay. Okay, maybe one time out of ten, you basically say, no, and in your head you're thinking, of course I've seen it, it's the size of a golf ball and it's pulsating. Right, okay. But most times you go in, no, I don't think anybody would notice that. All right. I told Libby that nobody would notice the time that um, she burnt the shape of a chicken onto her chin with molten cheese from a pizza. All right. To be fair, that was noticeable and she did a good job of covering it up. But the majority of the time, we don't pick up on the things, we go out of the house thinking, oh my goodness, everybody must be staring at me because of this spot on my head, right? And nobody else sees the spot at all, okay? But we see it if we're feeling bad about ourselves. That The flip side of that is good. If, we've got, if we're like over self-confident, okay, apparently we look in the mirror and we see, like, we see like all the best bits and don't notice that we've got like ketchup down our chin or something like that, all right? I wouldn't notice if I've got ketchup down my chin anyway because I can't see my chin and I haven't seen it for about three years, all right? But that's kind of how science works and the way that we look at ourselves. And to an extent, our vision and what we see of ourselves can determine our value. Okay? Turn to somebody and say, our vision determines our value. And we see things and we, and we judge things and we judge things about ourselves. And, and, and to be honest, none of us are ever happy with ourselves. And people who've got more money than sense. He is, yeah, an aid. Uh, right, but, okay, but there's a reason that all around the world and in, in Western civilization that plastic surgeons are making massive amounts of money because people want something different and they don't think they're right and that they're always worrying about whether their nose is, is you know, not the right shape, whether, it, you know, whether their ears are too big, whether they need a tuck here or, you know, they need a bit more padding in certain areas, okay? Right? There's a reason that that industry is full of money, and that's because people don't feel good about the way that they look, and their vision ends up determining their value. Psalm 139, okay, verse 14, it says this. It says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Okay, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David's saying to God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I'm, I'm just saying thank you for that. Your works are wonderful. Okay, so he's saying, saying, I'm one of your works. Your works are wonderful. I must be wonderful. I know that. I know that because I've seen it. I know that because I've experienced it. Wouldn't it be great to be in a place where we can say that? 
But if we're feeling in a place where, where we look at ourselves and we think, actually, I'm not what I want to be. Actually, I, I'm scared of people seeing who I am because, because I'm worried about what they'll think of me. I want you to think about that. God made you. God made you wonderfully. His works are wonderful. And we can know that. We can be sure of that because God says so. I read an amazing article uh, on, I think it was the BBC News app, uh, a good few years ago. And, and it left me. You know sometimes when you're kind of sitting in a room and we've got this thing now because we've got like all our mobile devices and stuff like that and you can be sitting in a room and somebody just starts laughing? Yeah? And, and I suppose actually that, that part of us that, that worries about what we look like and who we are thinks actually they might be laughing at us. But actually they've just read something or seen something or some post on social media that starts to make them laugh. Right? I, I was sat in a room and I read this news article and, and I just started to lose the plot. Okay? And anybody who was in there must have thought I was like a complete weirdo. Right? Okay. In, um, there was this painting. A fresco, so a fresco is painted into plaster on the wall, so you see those in really old churches and things like that. Okay, there's this fresco, uh, it's called Eke Homo, okay, behold the man, okay? This is what it used to look like, okay? Right, it was on the wall in this church, okay? It was, uh, it was painted by a guy called Elias Garcia Martinez, Okay? It had held pride of place in the sanctuary of Mercy Church uh, near Zaragoza for more than a hundred years. Okay. This lady called Cecilia Jimenez, she was in her 80s. She loved this painting. She'd been going to see it. She'd been looking at it for 80 years growing up, and she could see that because of the state of the wall and the plaster, and as happens with frescoes, it started to deteriorate. Deteriorate, there you go, that's the word, right, okay. Bits had started dropping off. This painting that she loved that inspired her, this painting of Jesus on the wall in this church was starting to look a little bit worn. She was really worried that other people wouldn't be able to appreciate its beauty, that it was going to be lost forever. So she took a brush to it. She was not an artist. She was not a painting restorer. She just really had a passion to make sure people could keep enjoying this painting that she'd seen. So she went up to Elias Garcia Martinez's uh, masterpiece on this wall in this church. And she started to touch it up. She started with the robe and you know, that was all right. That was okay. And then, then she got to the face. <laughs> and that was what happened to it. <laughs> Somebody described it. See if I can find these quotes. So, the once, uh, this is the quote. The once dignified portrait now resembles a crayon sketch of a very hairy monkey in an ill-fitting tunic. This masterpiece that was partially broken, but we can still see what it was. She went in there and she daubed paint all over it. It's like to such a point, like where it started to become a meme, right? And it started. To, I saw there was a picture. Actually, I don't know if Tom can find it. If you can find the picture, Tom, there's a picture of somebody who decided to wear this as a fancy dress outfit. Okay, if Tom finds it, he'll put it up. All right. 
This woman had gone in. She just desperately, desperately wanted it to look the way it should look. And that's what happened. Can you imagine? I mean, just imagine if the church had actually asked her to do it. Can you imagine that? If they went away expecting this restoration and they came back and that beautiful masterpiece had turned into this squiffy-faced, like, hairy halo man, right, who, like, okay, right, I just, oh, it terrifies me, right, the thought of it happening. Okay, uh, Teresa Garcia, the granddaughter of, um, of Elias Garcia Martinez, said the woman had painted the tunic before, but the fresco got disfigured when she painted Christ's head. She had good intentions. Art historians were expected to meet at the church soon to discuss how to proceed. They said, if we can't fix it, we'll probably cover the wall with a photo of the painting. (laughs) Can you imagine this? You've got this amazing painting, then covered in paint by some complete amateur woman in her 80s, then with a photo stuck over the top of it. I don't think it's going to have quite the same impact that the original one did. Okay, the fresco was not thought to be very valuable, but it had a high sentimental value for local people. And the correspondent to this um, news report says that to make matters worse, the local centre that works to preserve artworks had just received a donation from the original painter's granddaughter, which they had planned to use to restore the original fresco. Beneath everything that's been added, there is still the work of the original artist. Okay, behind those really poorly added brushstrokes are still the brushstrokes of an artist. There is still a masterpiece underneath. It's just the fact that we can't see it. We can't see it. There's loads of paintings, actually, that have been restored badly in the past. And they use x-ray techniques to kind of get at what's underneath. It's amazing what they can do with technology. Did you get the picture of the fancy dress man? No, okay. We'll find that later. If you find that, just nod at me and we'll put it up. Because I, I just want you to see it. I just think it's brilliant. Right, okay. Have you got it? See, Tom's, no, maybe, you what? You're just downloading it. When you're ready, give me a nod. All right, okay, sorry, the costume, not the costume, what? Not that picture of the costume, okay, all right, okay, all right, okay, so, there we go, beneath that poor restoration is still an original masterpiece, do you know what? And, and beneath everything that kind of clouds our view of who we are and clouds how we see ourselves and how others might see us is still the work of a master artist, the work of God who created us. And even if we can't see it ourselves, it's there. Even if we can't see it ourselves, God sees it. Do you know what? When we start to wonder how God can love us, When we start to see nothing good in ourselves, the original artist still sees the beauty in his creation. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, God sees beauty in you. Do you know what? It's not just us. It's not just a a 21st century idea that, that we just don't think we're up to tasks. You know, we hear so often, and, and I'll preach it, and other people will talk about it, the fact that we, we're called to do amazing things, and God's got a plan for us. 
And God wants us to do great things and achieve great things for him. And we kind of look and we look at ourselves and think, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's not, that's not a new thing. Exodus 4. Okay, I'm starting at verse 1. Okay, God's been talking to Moses and he's been telling him about all that he wants him to do. All that he wants him to do in, in Egypt with his people. Moses says this, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? Staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. I imagine God said this because Moses still didn't look convinced, okay? The Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, then they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs, I listen to you. Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant, I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And Moses said, okay. No, he didn't. Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please send someone else. Moses has seen these things, these amazing things. Okay, he's, he's seen his staff thrown on the floor and turned into a snake. And then God says to him, pick it up. Okay, he jumps straight onto the fact that Moses picked it up. But, but I, I imagine there was a bit of Moses going, what, really? You want me to pick that snake up? Right? And, and Moses picks up the snake. And it turns back into a staff. And then he says, put your hand in your cloak. He turns it, pulls it out. He's gone leprous. Moses is probably thinking, I hope at this point, that's just not just punishment for me not wanting to do this. Um, and, he, and he puts it back in his cloak and he pulls it out and it's fine. And Moses sees all these things and, and God's saying, you know, it doesn't matter about your weaknesses. It doesn't matter that you, you stammer over your words and you stutter and you don't feel like you can, you can speak or use the right kind of words to persuade people or talk to people. Who's the one who invented your mouth? Who's the one who gave you the ability to speak? It's me, I can sort that out. And all these things... Moses hears from God himself, okay, not from a preacher on behalf of God, but from God himself appearing to him. And then he says, do you know what? Can you send someone else? Sorry, God. After all that, I still don't think I'm up to it. You know, I say this a lot, but God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. If God calls us to do something, God doesn't look for someone who's already got the skills God gives the skills to someone that he wants to do a job. It's more important that we are available. Another thing you hear preachers say um, a lot is it's not your ability that counts, but it's your availability. 
Okay, turn to someone next to you and say, it's not your ability that counts, it's your availability. Do you know what? As we, as we look at ourselves, as we try and look at who we are, my hope for all of us, really, is that we start to see ourselves in the way that God sees us. Okay, that we start to see the good in us, the original in us, the part of us that has not been painted over by an 80-year-old well-intentioned woman to look like that terrible picture did. Right, okay. But actually that no matter how kind of falling apart we might seem, like that original picture, just put the original one up for a minute, Tom. You know, whatever... Whatever damage there is to that, I don't think anybody is going to say that the restoration was an improvement, okay? We can all see the beauty in that, whereas the next one, yes, there we go. Right, so, the moment we start to get aligned with what God says in his word, when we start to read the promises that he makes about us, when we start to really understand how God sees us by getting into worship, by, by letting the Holy Spirit in, by letting him change things in us. Right? We start to see ourselves the way that God sees us. We start to see more of what he created us to be and less of what's been added by life, by the situations we've gone through, less of the things that we've added to ourselves to try and make ourselves more appealing to the world, to try and fix what we see as as our deficiencies. Do you know what? It's then that God can step in and he can do a proper restoration on us. That God can step in and start to take away those layers. Do you know what? We need to let God continue his creation in us sometimes. There's huge problems around the world with with coral reefs, okay? They're dying off. Uh, Things have been destroyed through overfishing and trawling and stuff like that. Um, There's been some amazing um, scientific projects where people have taken old ships that are kind of wrecked beyond uh, any, you know, further use as a vessel, okay? And they take them out. And in these areas where coral reefs have been destroyed, they drop these ships in there. And they sink them to the bottom. And along come these kind of coral organisms and stuff. And they start over a period of years and years to attach onto the holes of these broken down ships. And over the years, they start to get colonized by, by all these corals. And the fish start to come in and they start to hang around this place. And eventually what happens is instead of a rusting old hulk of a ship that's just discarded on the bottom of the ocean, you get this beautiful coral reef that attracts life, that is life. You know, I think sometimes our lives can be a little bit like that. We can feel they're, they're broken down, but when we start to see the way that God sees us, he can continue his creation in us. That he can make us something more than we had ever been in the first place. Because God's not a creator who, who creates and then steps away and has nothing more to do with his creation. God's a creator who loves his creation, who comes back to it. 
and he sees it in its broken state and he still loves it. And he still sees what he made in the first place and he still sees the potential to make more, to be an artist that continues his creation. You know, some of the greatest masterpieces of art that we see around aren't entirely how the artist started them. And when this same technology that's used to check out what's behind layers of paint for a restoration, behind layers of muck is used on them, they can find that certain things have been painted in a different way. And it said the Mona Lisa was painted with a very different smile to the one that's made it such an amazing uh, uh, piece of art and that people talk about. You know, we can see what was there before, but the artist kept creating. He kept creating to turn it into an absolute masterpiece. And this morning, God wants to take your life and he wants to keep creating. He wants to take the masterpiece that he's already painted and he wants to add to it. And he wants to give you more because you're part of a plan. You're part of the plan that he's got to transform this town of Netherton. You're part of the plan that he has got to transform the borough of Dudley, to transform the Midlands, to transform the world. We're part of a church worldwide that are God's people, God's hands and feet in his creation. And he wants to work with you. This morning he wants to take that picture of you as a ship and he wants to build on it. And he wants to build that reef around you. I want to pray for us. We're going, to, um, we're going to pray. If somebody's got the prayer book, that'd be fantastic in a moment. And then we're going to worship um, some more. But let's just stand together and, and I'll pray. And this morning, if you really struggle with kind of how you feel other people see you, if you really struggle with how you see yourself, okay, I just want you to just really kind of Open yourself up this morning to let God um, begin a work of healing in that. So we're just going to close our eyes just for a moment, just to kind of shut out everything else that's going on around. And we're just going to pray. Lord God, I just uh, thank you that you are creator. Lord God, that you, uh, you made a creation that was fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord God, thank you that your word tells us that that your creation is wonderful and we're part of that. So God, no matter how we look at ourselves, no matter how we see ourselves or, or think that other people see us, God, we're a masterpiece. But Lord God, maybe over the years, as, as life's taken its toll, as we've made some decisions that perhaps we shouldn't have made, Lord God, things have got added. Lord God, or maybe things have been taken away from our character and locked away and we feel like they're just forever lost. But God, this morning we know that you want to restore us. God, that you want to bring us to a place where, where we can start to see how you see us. God, in that, as we start to see that, we'll start to see how you see other people. So God, I just pray this morning for a restoration. God, I pray for an openness to you. Lord God, would you um, just take away the things that block us from seeing who you made in us? God, in that, in that moment where, where Saul of those scales fall from his eyes, Lord God, might it be as dramatic as that? 
Lord God, that the next time we look in a mirror, we might just start to see something more than just a reflection of us, but we might start to see who you created us to be. Lord God, you are amazing. You are all-powerful. You are the creator of everything around us. And God, we thank you for creating us. And Lord God, we want to be the people you made us to be. So God, as we worship now, I pray that you continue to meet with us. Lord God, that as we worship you, as we, as we come before you and worship you for who you are, God, we might start to see who we truly are in your eyes. Amen.